0: Of mic drop, your call-in application that allows all of you to engage in the conversation by asking questions and allow us to entertain each other, <laughs> engage with one another, and get your questions answered. I want to talk tonight about this shift to the right that seems to be happening with Joe Biden and walk through some of the politics of it, talk about what it means for energizing the Democratic base, suppressing the Democratic base, and whether or not it's worth it to try to find independence in the middle in order to best position for uh, the presidential contest that seems to be coming up. But, and again, this is the whole point of the call app. I want to answer your questions that you have about anything else that's going on. Let's start a discussion. Let's keep the community growing. If you get a chance, please go ahead and share. You can share, I think, in the lower left-hand corner of your application. Um, A little uh, person with a plus over their shoulders, just hit that real quick for me a couple times. Uh, Help me build this audience, get this going. Um, It's going to be a little bit more engaged with some of just the hardcore folks for, I think, for the first, my guess is probably going to be up and through about summer. And then as the presidential contest really starts to heat up, um, people are going to start focusing in, and um, that's really what the plan is here, to have as big a vibrant a discussion as possible. We'll walk through the fundamentals of the race uh, and the way they look in the summer. You guys have heard my opinion on kind of where things stand as it relates to a generic Democrat incumbent against a generic Republican contender. Um, but I want to talk about why the Biden administration is behaving the way that it is, first and foremost. So go ahead, jump into the queue. It's easy to do if you'd like. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping we're gonna have a, a lot of questions. Um, I hesitate to say jump into the chat if you wanna ask questions through the chat because I'd rather have a discussion. It makes it easier uh, for me to get a sense of what it is that you guys wanna talk about. Also, candidly, makes it easier for me to take a sip of water and, and help my voice out. You guys know I've got trouble with my voice once I started hitting that one hour mark. But let's go ahead and jump into this. Two major significant shifts in the past 10 days that really signal signal not just sort of a moderating uh, by Joe Biden, but actually a, a concerted effort to move decidedly to the right on two key, key issues that are certain to cause great consternation with the democratic base. The first, which we explored a little bit early on a couple of episodes back on the politics of immigration, might've been last week, I'm starting to lose track of time here is this rightward shift on immigration. And as I walked through that episode, you, be, you will be reminded that um, the, 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 the president's position right now sets him not too far in, in terms of substance, certainly not tone, uh, right? Basically where the Trump administration has been. And before then, uh, where Barack Obama was at, lot of, lot of Latino journalists, probably not huge on the followership of Mic Drop followers, but on social media today, really pressing the case against Barack Obama. There's this renewed look at Barack Obama's um, administration, as it relates to border issues, and, and I think a real more a much more honest look at what the administration was doing and not doing um, to both either reform the immigration system, to dramatically expand deportations, and to really um, build a if not a physical wall, a virtual wall on the border. Now, this is not a criticism. Uh, I've got plenty of criticisms there. What I want to make really clear is what President Biden is doing is not just purely political theater for domestic politics. I think it helps him here, by the way. I think that the shift to the right helps him. It helps him with Hispanics. I think it helps him with independence, which I'll get to in just a second. doesn't mean do a darn thing with, with Republicans. They're not going anywhere. They're not moving. Uh, we'll talk about how it affects his white progressive, especially younger base. But, but, but this is the most important thing. I'm not suggesting on either this or on his shift on oil drilling in Alaska, that this is a purely political calculation. I think both of them benefit him, by the way. I think both help, but I'm not cynical enough to believe that they're purely political moves. In fact, I think that these are good leadership moves. And regardless of your ideology, you've got to run the country. If you're an executive, you've got to run a city. If you're a mayor, you've got to run a state if you're a governor. One of the main things that taking a very hard stand, a firm stand, on the border does uh, for a president of either party, is it sends a very strong message to those who are considering immigrating all the way down into Central America about what the president, the current administration's policies are going to be on the border. And even a slight inclination that there may be uh, more opportunities to come in, either through asylum or through lack of enforcement, or or longer uh, periods of, of holding times in the United States, there's all sorts of small indicators that many thousands of people look to through basically a, a game of telephone from the Mexican U.S. border all the way down to Panama, uh, and that's how these these caravans start. Okay, folks, this 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 these rumor mills. And there's a lot of truth to them. Begin. On, um, uh, on, on policy stances taken by the US president, by the administration. And as those start to filter out and filter down, it can have a very large cascading effect towards masses of people moving forward, moving northward on, um, uh, towards the border. That's literally how these caravans start, okay? When Fox News was talking about all these caravans you have to remember these were not new. This has been going on for 20 or 30 years. What happens is a small group of people, oftentimes in villages in Central America, will go together, and I mean small, five, 10, 15, 20 people, okay? And they will head north together because they know each other. A lot of times, increasingly what's happening now uh, with the current administration's proposals is there's a lot of unaccompanied minors. A lot of people who's who may have, um, uh, Ill, undocumented immigrants, uh, illegal immigrants here in the United States who may have children in Guatemala and Nicaragua and El, El Salvador and Honduras, Central America largely, Oaxaca region and southern uh, Mexico. Uh, they may be living with grandparents. COVID crashed that economy, hurt our economy. Less remittances are coming home, less food supply there. Starving is starting to really kick in. There's just so little money that a lot of times young teenagers unfortunately sad human story sometimes children younger than that uh, are living with grandparents and again can no longer feed or take care of themselves or their grandparents and will literally walk from central america up to the u.s border in an attempt to try to get in with nothing more than phone numbers written down um and 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 use that as a way to try to connect with people Uh, inside the United States, friends, relatives, uh, distant relatives. Um, This is another thing that is causing this child labor crisis where we've got a lot of these kids are now working in major U.S. corporation manufacturing facilities. So look, as Americans, we're not really aware of this or we turn a blind eye to it, but it's really this horrible human suffering story. Imagine being a nine-year-old girl, 10-year-old girl, 13, 14-year-old girl walking with refugees essentially with all of the bandits, all of the bad actors between these Central American countries, who have found ways to traffic, uh, um, um, compromise people, rob people um, from 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 thousands of miles down south, all the way to a border town. A border town uh, brings on its own own recipe of of human suffering, and then again at that young of an age, trying to navigate this 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 crazy labyrinth of reforms, regulations, which are entirely broken to get into the United States. And then of course, once you get in trying to find somebody that will um, um, help you. So th- there's, there's this real human saga, human horrible human story that really, I think many of us don't want to look at because it's so unconscionable, but it's happening every day on the Southern part of our border. Sorry, looking at the sneezing here, trying to fight off the sneeze. Um, and so so when the Biden administration takes a, a more conservative hardline position, it's not just to stem the immediate flow, which it does, it also sends a message to thousands of people that there's no opportunity to get in. Okay? A lot of times just the election of a Democrat sends the message that it's it's gonna be easier to come. And that, that happened both during the Obama and Biden administrations. So that's how broken the system is, and that's how loosely Um, uh, the lines of communication are throughout these networks, all the way down from the, from the Mexican us border down to uh, the tip of, of, of central America. And that's these caravans start five, 10, 15 people will start pick up five, 10, 15 people in the next village. It keeps going and going and going. And eventually these packs start to get, um, they build communities in and of themselves, and they can become hundreds, even thousands of people. Of people marching up north. Uh, oftentimes to defend themselves. Oftentimes unaccompanied minors will find other families, women, of course, taking care of their own children, who will who will bring in another child under their under their wing and under their protection, recognizing how dangerous this whole movement is. That's what goes on. So I, I'm not gonna say it's it's as it's as cynical as a purely crass political move to the center. It is in large part to try to stem wave of human suffering that is coming um, as a result now that doesn't mean that there aren't political benefits to to joe biden by doing that and let me talk about the constituencies where he is best served by that the most important one is with white independents who almost always are shaken off when republicans can do it and they're doing it with less frequency based off of cultural slash racial issues and if you've been listening to me you know and I've been saying for a long time that the line between racial issues and cultural issues has always been sort of a seamless one, but they're really, really integrated now, right? Critical race theory, great replacement theory. Uh, there's a reason why all of these are being discussed in terms of cultural terms. They're not just gender, transgender issues, the dog whistling that you have heard on things like law and order, uh, the bullhorning on um, the build the wall chants during, during, during Trump's you know, um, twenty sixteen presidential campaign. There is this melding between cultural change and racial and demographic change, and that has also been wrapped up in what we New York Times calls economic anxiety. Right. So all of these things that are changing in American society all add to this petri dish of concerns of whites broadly, non college educated whites more specifically. And remember, sixty percent of U.S. voters do not have a college degree, so that's a wide swath of voters, and it tends to be an older constituency too. So if Joe Biden is winning older, non-college-educated, independent whites, he's gonna win re-election. Let me say that again. Joe Biden wins older, non-college-educated whites, especially if he's making incursions with male demographic, he's gonna win. This is the group that he won, that Hillary Clinton lost, this is where that last big late break in 2016 broke away from Hillary Clinton and to uh, Donald Trump. Uh, that will be the, in the the key vote. Okay, that and that is because the movement of these Republicans, college-educated Republican women that I was targeting on the Lincoln Project, and that moved in, and, and moved in even greater numbers after Dobbs in the 22 midterm elections. That shift even though it still has a Republican propensity, right? These are the people that moved back for Yunkin. They moved Republican in the, uh, in the New Jersey contest. They shifted right. Uh, they, they moved back into that position in the uh, off-cycle election where New Jersey and Virginia have their gubernatorial elections. There's still this kind of magnetic pool, this gravitational pool of these voters back to the Republican Party. These are Republicans from the 80s and the 90s. They're really losing their mooring. They're losing that cultural anchor. They don't really trust the Republican party, but they're not Democrats. And so unless, until Republicans give them more reason to vote against them, that gravitational pull will bring them back. Now, this is one of the issues. Immigration is one of the most significant issues. I would argue even bigger than abortion, okay, with these voters. It is a foundational, emotional, identity, I would argue even biologically driven uh, issue that, 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 that just partisanizes and drives an immediate wedge between different demographic constituencies. So Biden's ability to say he's more conservative than the Democratic Party, and he is, by the way, more conservative than the Democratic Party, makes the Republican extremism look really, really ridiculous. Okay? Now, I think some of you guys probably saw the social media uh, rigmarole, if that's the right word, with Marjorie Taylor Greene, shocking, talking about these bombs that were found on the border. Turns out it was a lie. Shocking, I know. But all of this is going to feed into this right-wing paranoia that is going to get crazier and crazier and crazier. But, and this is really important, really important, the argument and the framing of immigration as legal versus illegal is probably the most powerful frame I've ever seen in American politics of any issue. It's far bigger than a woman's rights to choose. It's far greater, far stronger than uh, you know the planet ending with climate change or global warming or however you want to phrase, phrase that. Uh, even defense issues. There's nothing that is as powerful as this this, this frame of legal versus illegal. Okay, and I'm going to go into great depth in this uh, in, in my book because. From my very first campaign, where this was the decisive issue, up until now, it's still this insurmountable, um, impenetrable frame on this topic that creates extremely little movement. And so Biden's position here, I think, is extraordinarily advantageous politically. The policy, I'm not a big fan of, although I get it, and I would probably be doing the same thing. But from the political perspective, the fact that he's getting attacked, and I I told you guys this was going to happen. It's happening with Julian Castro was the first one saying, well, I'm going to attack you. Senator Bob Menendez came out sharply critical, sharply critical of um, Joe Biden's policy on asylum. Uh, You're going to see the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, I think, take a position directly in opposition of the president. I think you're going to see a lot of Latino talking heads and journalists Attacking him and what I'm going to tell you is all of that is going to help the the Latino leadership political leadership's Attacking Biden is going to legitimize and centralize his position in the middle It is not going to hurt his his percentage break with Latinos Any more than he's already suffering from guys, okay? He's already not doing well with Latinos this issue is not going to drive more Latinos into the Trump column or into the DeSantis column or into whoever the Republican nominee is going to be. And you know how I feel about it, I'm pretty certain that Trump will be the nominee uh, unless he begs off or something else dramatic happens. But, but let's, let's just say I'm wrong and let's say it's DeSantis. I don't think there's a heel there's a beans difference. They're going to get the exact same vote share as the other. It's a generic Republican candidate Going to the right on this issue helps Biden uh, inoculate against uh, this open border attack and open border weaknesses because he's taking specific policy positions diametrically opposed to that attack, okay? Diametrically opposed. And that's what you guys heard me say last week or two weeks ago whenever we did the, the politics of immigration piece is when Democrats have a lack of specifics. When they lack specifics, they are opening themselves up to the open border frame attack, and it is incredibly powerful, okay? Incredibly powerful. That's not what's happening now, okay? he's Biden is inoculating, but again, I don't think he's doing it for political purposes. I think he's doing it because he's got to stem this humanitarian flow, which is only going to get worse and worse and worse because of the economic situation, combined with the fact that that a lot of the people showing up on the border aren't just Mexican and Central American anymore. A lot of them are Ukrainian. A lot of them are Russian. A lot of them are people from Europe, a lot of uh, people from India, a lot of people from the Middle East. A lot of people are coming to the Mexican border to try to find their way through. This is a lot of the political tactic that's being used by the right, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Paul Gozar, saying it's not just drugs flowing from Mexico, it's also ISIS, It's these. it's Muslims. Which, which are even scarier brown people than Mexicans and Central Americans are, okay? It's not just gangs and not just drug dealers. They're terrorists now, too. That's the frame. That's what they're trying to get to. So it helps Biden with independent whites, men and women, helps with non-college-educated independent voters, and it also, I think, helps... Um, um, Mitigate against that Republican attack. Uh, so I think it's a very strong position now the, the question that everyone's gonna be asking and this is the message that Latinos are gonna try to be driving politically Democratic Latinos Who are to the left of the president on this issue? What they're gonna say is Latinos aren't gonna vote for you Latinos are gonna you're not gonna get the turnout because you're just as anti-Hispanic as everybody else My answer to that is that's complete bullshit. It's completely wrong this is exactly what the Democrats were saying to Barack Obama in 2014. A lot of Democratic groups were predicting a massive response against Barack Obama in the, uh, the midterms, the Democrats in the midterms, because they were saying, that, you know, this is when Latinos were calling Obama the deporter in chief, for those with short memories. Before Donald Trump, they were attacking Barack Obama, not just a handful of Latinos, the overall political establishment was coming after the guy, okay? And what happened? exact opposite happened, okay? The the Latino electorate is not going to move decisively based off of this position away from Biden. Biden already has a Hispanic problem. I've talked about it at length, I'm gonna talk about it more, has nothing to do with this. If this does anything, it's actually gonna help him, okay? With Latinos, not just because, because of the demographic that he needs to lock in, which are second and third generation Hispanics that are concerned about the border. Notice that most of the slippage amongst Hispanics, Mexican-Americans, right, not the Cubans, Mexican-Americans are in the Rio Grande Valley, New Mexico too, in the border areas, and in southern regions of Arizona and California. What, is that, what do they all have in common? They're on the border. They're seeing this problem firsthand. It's not academic, it's not an MSNBC story. They're not in San Francisco or New York. They're seeing it in their communities, they know it's a real problem and it is a problem and it's the responsibility of the President of the United States to handle this regardless of the party and that's what he's doing, okay? So keep that in mind. You're gonna hear a huge battle. It's gonna be largely pitched and on social media and the cable news shows. You got a lot of pissed off Latino members of Congress, pissed off Latinos in the Senate, a ton of really pissed off community-based organizations the reality is their constituencies are already spoken for. This is a good move for Biden. Okay, this centrist right wing, right side position. It is a, it is on the right. It's not it's not a, it's a traditional Democratic position. Okay, this is a a right position, a centrist center right position. It's the right one. Peggy, I see you in the queue. Might get to you in just a quick second. This is not unlike the second position that he's taken, which is on on oil drilling in Alaska. Now. Democrats are, are, you know, environmental concerns are are obviously a huge core part of their constituency, especially the moneyed elite class, and I know that's a a throwaway term, but it's also true, okay? If you look at climate change, it's a very important topical issue for white progressive voters that have incomes over $250,000 a year and are college educated. That issue, for that constituency is like catnip. They can't not, that's, they're consumed by it, okay? The white, progressive, wealthier voter, especially in the coastal communities, is consumed by, by, by global uh, climate change. Uh, that's the issue that they, they believe, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, I'm saying politically, they are much more focused than any other demographic. In fact, I would say all other demographics combined. That's how important it is. Okay? So Biden going to the right here and allowing for more uh, oil to be drilled um, is a significant, it's significant. This is not just a play to corporate interests. It's not just a play to, um, to, to, to the oil companies. What, what is it? This is a geopolitical move that is absolutely critical and central to both the fight in Ukraine, as well as to, and this is really what it's about, a relationship with China. China imports 80% of its oil, largely from uh, uh, positions in the Middle East, the Saudis specifically, okay? And it brings that oil in through Indonesia, through all of that archipelago, very difficult to get that oil through. But that's really the whole, the pipeline. It's just simply like the, the pipeline, the Nord Stream two to to Germany, as important as that was from Russia to Germany. That's how critical this passageway is from Saudi Arabia up to uh, up to China. Okay, China has to keep up its current economic growth rates, and it's all entirely fueled by petroleum. By the way. China has massive, massive oil reserves. Not all of them are touched, um, because, but they can't, they can't you know, take a pause on that. They've got to keep oil flowing, okay? W- what we've also seen is um, um, the, the Nord- with the shutdown of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline is the whole geopolitical situation around petroleum is changing, right? And the United States has to start becoming not only more oil dependent, but I think you're also gonna start seeing more exporting to Western European nations to keep them on the side of Ukraine. And notice that this announcement came within days, within days of a diplomatic breakthrough between Saudi Arabia and Iran, brokered by China. Okay, I don't know if anybody has followed the story or heard the story, but my God, this is far, far bigger than anybody is giving credits to. China essentially positioned itself to broker one of the largest Mideast spats in the last 50 years, right? It's, it's not just Iran and Saudi Arabia, although that's a big part of it. It's the difference between Sunni and Shia Muslims. Those are the two hearts of the inter Nisan battle between the Muslim world. And China brokered the deal. Okay, this is extremely, extremely important. So the politics of petroleum are changing, changing and they're changing fast. And the United States is realizing that we're gonna have to not only become more energy independent, but at some point, we're probably also gonna have to become an exporter of oil if we're gonna maintain some sort of geopolitical balance because Germany is almost entirely reliant on Russian oil. China is entirely reliant on Saudi oil. Once Russia gets a pipeline built to Beijing, the dynamics of their, uh, their financing for this war effort changes considerably as well. right? So the United States is realizing we can't leverage the same things and the assets and diplomatic relations and exports and imports on, on accomplishing getting the whole world off of oil the way that we wanted to because of the war, the outbreak in Ukraine in large part, and the increasingly aggressive posture of China. So we're going to have to, in order to fuel our own war machine and keep Western Europe on our side, Uh, we've got to keep oil oil plentiful and we've got to keep prices low, okay? So again, he's not not picking up any constituency. Biden is not picking up any constituency he doesn't already have. He's not convincing anybody what he's doing is he's engaging in this escalating global war that is developed it's, I don't want to say it, it's already developed you guys those of you that are listening to me events been, I've been saying for, you know, for the past 10 years we have been in a conflict acts of war from Russia specifically China of course is taking full full um um Uh, completely opportunistic, as as they should be, uh, to be looking for those weaknesses in our own hegemonic power in this new world order to destabilize the geopolitical structure. It only works to their advantage. But again, to show how deep their incursions are, to be brokering peace deals between Shia and Sunni, Iran and Saudi Arabia, to keep, in large part, not just the stability stability of the region, credibility in the geopolitical space, right? where the rest of the world is looking to China as a global leader now that can put these deals together and act in good conscience in a way the United States never could, and also to keep that oil flowing uh, through Malaysia, through Indonesia, and through those straits, uh, through the Indian Ocean up to the South China Sea uh, to keep fueling the economic engine for China. So Biden is making a very decided executive play to move towards greater oil production I think it's the right um, uh, move, but again, th- these are these are significant shifts. Right, they're the right thing to do. They have the added benefit of being politically advantageous for Biden as he heads into a presidential election, where both of the front reading, lead front running leading Republican candidates are going to be to the right of this already conservative position. So, with that, Peggy, uh, you're up on stage. Go ahead and unmute and let's.
1: Okay, so. I have I've already knocked two questions off of my my word document I made up, but I'm going to ask three. And if you're okay,
2: let's do it.
1: It's all immigration. So does Biden gain those Hispanic voters in the border districts who are leaning Republican, who have indicated that they don't feel safe and who many are part of the border security detail themselves by taking this position that's on immigration? That's the first one.
0: Let me answer that, because otherwise I'll forget them. Um, I believe that the shift has already happened
2: okay? mm-hmm. and
0: I don't think it's as swingy a vote as a lot of prognosticators think it is. I think if you've been looking at the trajectory of this vote for three decades, as I have, it's a lot different than people who just, oh my God, woke up and found this vote in the 2020 presidential election or suddenly experts on it. Okay. No, the shift I believe has already occurred. I think it was long overdue. I think if, if if Trump had not been the Republican president or nominee, it would have happened even earlier, okay? Remember, the Democrats' high point with Hispanic voters was 2012 with Barack Obama running against Mitt Romney. It drops eight or nine points with Hillary Clinton. It drops another eight or nine points with Joe Biden. I think we're sitting at a floor right now, but I also mm-hmm. think we're sitting at a ceiling. I think we're gonna, you're going to see the Republican vote share sit at about 37, 38% in the next presidential election cycle. And I think that will impact a number of races down ticket. We can talk about that in a little bit too. But to answer your question specifically, no, I don't think that that taking this position brings a lot of those voters back. I think it stems a continued leakage a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I think that there are other issues that are going to be dominant that are going to bring a lot of these voters, especially Hispanic women, back into the fold.
1: Back towards Democrats or back yes. towards
0: people? Okay. Yeah. Very good. Well, Dobbs specifically. Remember, if you look at the vote share, wow. that dem- the, the vote share that Democrats got in 2022 matched what they got in 2020. So there are a lot of Democrats out there, the so-called analysts saying, oh, the shift didn't happen. No, this never happened. And then in 2022, which was a pretty decent year for Democrats, all things considered. hmm Hispanics stayed at the exact same places they did after the shift occurred. That's a data point you have to listen to. What that means is, I think that means is that shift has already happened. It's not a swingy vote that's coming back and forth. It's that that shift has already occurred, that demographic shift has occurred. If you're Hispanic and you voted for Donald Trump in 2020 and people were just writing it off as some anomaly or it's, you know, it's just because Donald Trump and these Latinos like a strong man, or it's all you know Spanish language WhatsApp misinformation, but then it happens again in 2022 when the dynamics are different. The exact same numbers. That's a baseline. That's a baseline. You're not my business, which mm-hmm. means that it's not probably good, highly unlikely it goes higher, but it's also highly unlikely it goes lower for a while. It's just a shift. Whatever was going to shift has shifted, and it's there. I think that that is now. Now here here's the thing. There were Hispanic women that moved back, okay? And, and Hispanic men continued moving right. And, but but the, the, the Republican vote share stayed the exact same. What does that mean? It means that, first of all, this is really fascinating, the gender gap, the voting differences between men and women is largest in the Hispanic voting group, larger than any of the other four major ethnic or racial groups, larger than whites, Larger than Blacks, larger than Asian Pacific Islanders, Hispanics are the largest. Have the largest gap, and it's getting bigger. Now there are education correlations too. Sorry if I'm going off a little bit, you know, too long here. But the education gap between men and women in the Hispanic community is also the largest. And if you follow, you know, what, what you know, the show, you know, I talk a lot about the, the difference between college and non-college educated voters. Yes. The more they go to college the more they're likely to vote for Democrats.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And if you see a lot of Hispanic women voting for Democrats, especially after Dobbs and on cultural issues, a lot of that has to do with the, with the education divide. So if men continue to seek to the right with Hispanics, women are moving coming back after Dobbs, at least for this one anomalous year, mm-hmm. that's where there's a little bit of swinginess. But my mm-hmm. strong, my strong suspicion is that, that gap is gonna probably get bigger. There's gonna be a bigger movement between men and women away from each other in the Hispanic electorate, but the baseline of Hispanic support is gonna sit anywhere between 35 and 39 percentage points, which is a higher range than we've seen in the past 30 years, but it's not the highest. George W. Bush got 44, Reagan was uh, breaking 40. Um, you are sitting kind of in a, in a, in a second tier range it's not as bad as it was for Bob Dole or Mitt Romney, which were really bad numbers, but it's not as good as Reagan Bush.
1: Okay, you ready for another one?
0: Yeah, I hope that answered the question.
1: I, listen, I study this stuff. I listened to that immigration uh, episode three times. Okay, good. And I took notes. Listen, Professor Madrid, I'm <laughs> on <honest>. this.
2: <laughs> hope it was helpful.
1: Absolutely. So... Um, by Biden's taking his claim on a centrist position, does that also shift sane Republicans and as well as Republican-leaning Latino voters who do not live in border communities more favorably towards the president in 2024? The other question was border community, and this is none. Because the Latino really, vote you were yeah. saying is shifting more to the right, but yeah, by well, Biden taking that centrist position, I don't know if that doesn't
0: – Yeah, that's a really, really good question. I'm going to answer it by saying this. I don't know. I've never considered it. And here's why I've never really considered it. But let me let me think out loud Mm -hmm. uh, and see if this doesn't help. One of the fastest groups of uh, this Hispanic rightward shift. You're talking about Hispanics now, non-border Hispanics?
1: Yes, non-border Hispanics.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Uh, The the fastest growing group of those rightward shift are U.S. born Hispanic males Hmm. now the u.s born demographic is the most likely to not live in a border community so the question you're asking is is a very very good one the question becomes one does the shift happen two is it measurable and three does it occur in places that are going to have an impact so for example if it happens in Texas or California, right in Orange County, doesn't really matter. Probably not, because even if there is a rightward shift, it's not impacting the statewide voter model or most of the congressional seats in the county like that. Mike Garcia's race, a district, is a perfect example of that. California twenty-seven, the Santa Clarita Valley, just north of L.A. There's a Republican, Mike Garcia, who has won the seat twice now and a special election uh, in a seat that Biden won by double digits.
2: Mm-hmm. The,
0: the Democrats should have put up a Latino candidate. They did not. If they did, they would have won that seat. He ended up winning it by like a 1,000 votes or something, like three, two, small, small marginal number, okay? That district is a suburban district. That district is much more moderate conservative than you're gonna see in like a Los Angeles County or in, um, in other parts of, 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 uh, of the state or of the country, okay? So th- my answer is uh, they, will, they will be more likely and inclined to like Biden's position over where Trump and DeSantis, who will have a much, much harder, aggressive, angry line on this stuff Right. That is an opening for these candidates. It's an opening for Biden. But what I'm also going to say is this. It is it is not the definitive issue for these voters the way it is for Hispanics in border districts.
1: Got it. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So, so
0: the answer is yes, they're going to be more inclined to vote for Biden, but it's not as motivating an issue as other issues that are going to be more predominant uh, heading into the election cycle. It's a great question.
1: Okay. One more? Yeah. All important. Uh, so with you were saying last week on the, on the immigration uh, episode about that there's a lot of anti-Putin Russians camped out on the border as well. Yeah. And if the president brings back the Trump-era detainment policy... What will the pro-Russian caucus of the Republican Party do when it's white anti-Putin detainees being locked up at those who <laughs> or against
0: the war in Ukraine? Now, that's such a great question. You know, I'm paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a great question. I, you know, I look, I don't understand. Um, I, look, I do under I, I do understand where the pro-Russia sentiment is coming from in the party can I prove all of it? Not yet, but every day it gets better and clearer. I don't know if you guys saw this story that came out. I think the Guardian ran this story on an $8 million loan that came from Russians uh, to save truth social, to, to prop up Donald Trump's uh, social media empire,
2: right? So the, that, that was just this morning. So, so the Russians have been deeply involved propping up Donald Trump, but what I'm going to say is this,
0: mm-hmm. as I've shared with you, there's been massive amounts of millions of Russian dollars that has flowed through the NRA. There have been massive amounts, millions of dollars that went into the anti-vaccine effort. Mm-hmm. There was clearly many, many millions of dollars spent by Russian entities uh, in the 26 election to make sure that Donald Trump won. Mm-hmm. And I believe very firmly that there is Russian money that has been
2: involved with Fox News and the right-wing media echo chamber. I would not be surprised oligarchs to drive pro-Russian content.
1: Absolutely, that would not
0: shock me one bit. There's uh, you just see in the chat room there, there's a Guardian article from this morning. Oh, thank you.
1: I'll definitely read it. Thank yeah.
0: you. So so, so so, what I'm saying is this. At this moment, most Republicans remain very... Republican voters, most Republican voters remain very pro-Ukraine and very anti-Russia and anti-Putin. That number is going to slow, close.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Putin's going to start gaining more support. Ukraine will gather less support as we get closer to the election because the Russians are going to start ginning up the propaganda machine. The best thing that can happen to Vladimir Putin is to get a Republican elected president again, okay? That is the best thing he can do. Second to that is get more pro-Putin, pro-Russian, anti-Ukrainian Republicans elected to the Congress and hold on to a majority to try to shut off funding, to try to stop the the US war machine from funding both in terms of arms and resources the fight against Ukraine if he does that that's his biggest success is holding on to Crimea or rolling a few hundred tanks into the Donbass and making advancements that is a would be a massive tactical win for Putin and they're going to do everything they can to make sure that they're they that that happens that's absolutely
2: going to be part and parcel of what they're going to be doing So I think it's really important that what we're doing is having pro-Russian propaganda, Tucker Carlson
0: being the biggest uh, 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 pro-Russian mouthpiece that there is. Remember that a lot of this rise in Christian nationalism and Christian right-wing extremism is funded by very sophisticated entities emanating in Russia, and Bishop Kirill, the, 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 the religious leader of the Russian Orthodox Church. Yeah. I saw it when I was in Ukraine. I saw it when I was in Brazil in September. I saw it on the 2020 presidential election. It is all over the world. This is part of a quarter... design. It's designed to bring about apocalyptic viewpoints to destroy democracy, to try to instill theocracies against democracies. This is all funded. It's it's not just volunteer Facebook groups. This is, this is a ton of money uh, that has been thrown at these uh, social uh, cable and broadcast media channels, and it's been extraordinarily effective. So that's a long way of not answering your question directly because the answer is I don't exactly know, but what I do know is the divide between Russia and Ukraine in the Republican conference is going to get bigger. Politically, this helps Biden as it stands. But here's what I guarantee is going to happen. In the next six to eight months, you're going to start seeing a lot of news stories coming out on Fox News about scandals and corruption. You already heard chatter about this. You can oh, distractions, all, yeah. You're All about Zelensky's corruption. Mm-hmm. They're gonna start saying he's got these, you know, villas and dachas in all of these countries all over the world, secret bank accounts, uh, all these people on the payroll, all the projection that they do. They're going to try to undermine it using a corruption angle because that's what they're mm-hmm. that's what they're covering for, that's what they're involved, in. that's the money that they're taking, and that's what they're going to try to use to sway public opinion, at least in the Republican primary. Okay, that's what they're going to do. I think it's also very. You know, shocking coincidence that DeSantis, who was very pro-Ukraine, is
2: now very pro-Putin. Which is the Kremlin's biggest mouthpiece in the West. Uh, That, I don't think, is a coincidence. I think that that's that's obvious,
0: especially when all of the polling shows. All of the polling shows that most Republican voters are still anti-Russia. They're still anti-Putin. They're still pro-Ukraine. So for DeSantis to flip on that is, is very, very telling about who's compromised, who's bought off, who's in the pocket of whom. So we've got to be really, really careful of that. I don't know that they're really concerned as much about the refugees as much as they're worried about advancing the cause of what Fox News wants to tell them. And I think the conflict between Murdoch and Fox News uh, and his, whatever whatever's driving his pro-Russian messaging is going to run squarely into the Republican conference where Kevin McCarthy has now flipped to be anti-Zelensky. He's now pro-Russia. Donald Trump is pro-Russia. DeSantis is pro-Russia. Marjorie Taylor Greene is pro-Russia. Matt Gaetz is pro-Russia. Can you see it growing? Can you oh, see- absolutely. It's chipping, chipping, chipping away. And it's not based off of anything uh, foundational in the Republican base. It's all this compromise, and I'm not saying that they either were taking money or they were found in compromising positions. I'm also saying that they're not doing that. They may or may mm-hmm. not be. I don't know, but what I do know is there is no rational political explanation for the leadership of the Republican Party to be moving against the grain of where the vast majority of Republican-based voters are at. It does not. It right. does not add up. There's no rational political behavior behind any of that. And for Kevin McCarthy, of all people, who said that the two people that are on the payroll for Vladimir Putin were Dana Rohrabacher and Donald Trump back in the days of Paul Ryan, to now be out there critical of Vladimir Zelensky is the height of hypocrisy, but more than being hypocritical, it's very dangerous. Uh, for what we're about to head into in the next 18 months.
1: Well, what happens when the media starts highlighting these white anti-Putin Russians at the border? Wh- how does that affect the, their vote? Like McCarthy, people, voters that like the Republican Party because of their pro-Russian stance. They're going to use it.
0: No. They're, they're all, all right. We're not anti-Brown people. We're also against white people. Because oh, wow. it's illegal legal versus illegal. That will be the front that they use to rationalize all the behavior for everything else.
1: And and, and even though the, the these white Russians, anti-Putin Russians at the border are going to be on the media saying, listen, we didn't agree with the war. That's why we're here. Putin is bad. Putin is... The effect on the voters themselves, not that the, Fox News is going to show them that, though. I just...
0: Now, you're not going to see that. It's It's not going to move voter opinion at all because... Well, look what they're leaning into. They're leaning into fentanyl. They're leaning into drug dealers and rapists and crime. Like, that's what the. Uh, In the parking lot in the middle of the night.
1: Right. So what happens when when it becomes white people
0: that are coming over? There aren't that many, Peggy. There aren't that many. Okay. Uh-uh, okay. there aren't that many. I mean, look, there's a, there's a lot of illegal immigrants that are white now. They're just, they come and overstay their visas. That's the number one way to get into the country. Right. And the vast majority of those yeah. are white. So no, no one cares. Then this country doesn't care. You can be illegal in this country if you're white. We don't care. We care right. if you're poor and brown. That's what we care about. All
1: right. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. you. Bet, Appreciate thank you. your time.
0: No, thank you. James, you're up. Good. How are you this evening?
3: I'm good. I'm good. So, uh, I wanted to get back, uh, or I'm sorry. I wanted to, uh, make, uh, make a few comments about, um, you know, just the, uh, about what Biden was about his, um, his move on, um, um, Oil and gas, and just the situation with Ukraine. Uh, I got, I got a decent number of <laughs> opinions that I will, I would like to uh, share.
0: Right, let's start with the first one.
3: All right. Um. Yeah. So his. So I have not read super deep into it, but yeah, his. Um. Uh, it's a pretty big deal for him to, um, to say that we need to drill more. Um, you know, and this goes back to what you're saying about, you know, what is parties, you know, his party believes in, or most of his party believes in, um, especially in Alaska, cause <laughs> that is one area where environmentalists are extremely, um, uh, what's the word? I can't even think about it right now. Uh, I can't, I can't think of the word where they're, they're very, um, I guess adamant about, or very like focused on, uh-huh. um. Yes, it, 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 it's a pretty big deal for, for him to say that we need to continue, continue drilling, especially up there and just, you know, in certain other parts of the country. Um, but so the second thing is uh, and this. in, in Russia. Um, so. I personally believe that. Uh, in the case of Russia, that it may not happen now and but it 's going to happen eventually, but their um, oil production is going to collapse once their, once they once their economy feels the full on effects of sanctions that have taken place and perhaps even more sanctions in the future, and also this price cap that the EU has imposed on them. on Russia, or at least um, their economy. But uh, eventually their production is going to collapse. And considering that they are uh, in the top 10 biggest oil producers in the world, once their production collapses and once it collapses meaningfully, that is going to send ripples throughout the rest of the world, especially the um, um, oil market. And <clears throat> and how this pertains to – and how this – uh, pertains to Ukraine is, you know, I, I do agree with, with what you were saying earlier about how the U.S. is going to have to increase exports to those European countries because of Ru- because, uh, at least from my knowledge, Russia is still exporting some gas and some oil to these uh, to certain European countries. I, I think you said Germany. I know Germany is one of them. Um, I don't have the full list. I wish I did, but I um, Germany's,
0: Germany, hit up until recently, has almost been entirely reliant on Russian oil, Russian gas.
3: Right. And so, <clears throat> now that you have one of your biggest suppliers, um, you know, not completely off the market, but, you know, with a significantly reduced market share, then, yeah, they're going to have to get it from somewhere else. Yeah, it's going to have to come from us, probably Canada. Uh shoot, maybe Mexico. Um I don't know what the EU's relationship is with the Middle East um as far as oil and gas goes. We're not seeing that, but I just I think we're gonna see it eventually. It's just uh Russia is just they're being very stubborn. I wish I wish it would. I wish everything would collapse sooner, so that way, um, it could further weaken Putin's hand. Because now it's like, sure, he can try to. Well, keep he, in mind. He, look,
0: that's that's what this is about. That's what uh, American production of oil ramping this up as Alaskan reserves is all. Is the move yeah. to flood the, the the global markets with oil, including our own? The price of oil drops. Look, there have been a lot of theories. Uh, some which I agree with, some of which I don't, that say that the collapse of the Soviet empire was really a function of the depressed price. <clears throat> and, and, and look, the, the the rise of petroleum, the rise of the cost of oil, has fueled Putin's war machine. Without that, it's really, really difficult to see how uh, you can fund What he's trying to accomplish and the more oil production that the United States put out puts out the lower the price of gas, the lower the price of gas with fewer customers destabilizes the Russian regime. It's as simple as that. Now, will that work? you probably not alone because that means that that the Russians are going to have to find other markets and the Chinese are very willing buyers. China's a massive market that's very willing. The question is, do they have the infrastructure to get that oil to China through, essentially through Siberian pipelines or through the the steps of of the stands, the the Kazakhstan region to to build that infrastructure through the Himalayas, through Tibet? Very, very geographically difficult to do. So for the moment, the, the Chinese machine, the Chinese economic engine is fueled by Saudi Arabian oil. So remember, look, the the whole balance of military power is fueled by the price of gas. It's fueled by the price of oil. A lot of this destabilization of democracies that have been going on are a function of petrodollars financing wars on democracy. So the more democracies start kicking out oil and bringing the price of gas down, the stronger democracy's hand is. The problem is creates an existential threat with global warming and climate change, right? And that's the difficult decision you've got to make as the president of the United States. I'm glad I'm not in that position because I wouldn't want to have to make that decision. But if it's, de- if it's defending democracy in the short term and trying to find solutions to climate change in the medium term, because we're running out of time there too, I don't think you have any choice but to maintain America's energy independence. And that's what Joe Biden did. I think it was the right decision. And so, um, you know, far be it for me to kind of second guess too much of what that means. But that's, that's, again, just the situation that we we find ourselves in geopolitically. Em, I brought you up on stage. Go ahead and unmute. Let's ask you a question.
4: Hi, Mike. How are you?
0: Good. Good to hear from you again.
4: Great. Thanks for taking the call. I was on the conversation with Peggy. Um, because I'm just actually, I have a student right now who is from Russia mm-hmm. and a lot of students from Russia do not look white. So that's one thing he actually left Russia to avoid being conscripted, bounced all over the world, everywhere where you can go with a Russian passport and not in need a visa. If you have a Russian passport, which part Ended up, which
0: part is he Slavic or which, which part Lulia. of Russia? Yeah. So
4: he looks very, very, very Asian from my very Dream. I was yeah. shocked when he said that he speaks Russian. I was like, "Wait, what?" My brain had to refocus. Um, ended up right.
0: Very oftentimes being conscripted forcefully into the war. He's, but yeah, not they're not uh, white Slavic, not uh, not the blue-eyed white, you know, Christians. They're they're Mongolian. They're from the steeps. They're Asian features.
4: He ended up at the Mexico border in Texas and crossed over, was in the detention center and then asked for asylum. And so now he's, you know, waiting the decision on his case. So that's I mean, when you're thinking about um, Russian immigrants coming, they won't all look the way that someone might think a Russian person looks. Um, What a story.
0: How old is this person?
4: (laughs) It's so fascinating.
2: I think he's got to be like late 20s, early late 20s, I would guess. of random assortment of them where you could get in with a with no visa
0: going wherever you can the path of least resistance to survive
4: exactly and i just um i've spent most of my life working and living in communities of people who are new learn new arrivals in the u.s or temporary visitors or in the path and what you also mentioned in your conversation with peggy i just find so Critical in that so few people who talk about the border, like on the news and things, have any idea what's happening on the border, or specifically, like you mentioned with the visas. I'm now in a position where I have international students coming with F one visas, and seeing that up up close and seeing how strict versus how not strict those policies are, and how many people come on those kinds of visas and then end up staying and staying and it's just the, 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 the information is so biased in so many that, you know, people will make points and it's like, my goodness, that has nothing to do with what I'm. Sis.
0: We'll say a little bit more about that.
4: Like, did, like, if you come on an F1 visa, it seems that you would be very like.
0: You're really broken up.
4: Right? Is this any better? Yeah. Than I expected. Like there's so many opportunities to reapply for things. And if you miss a deadline, you can do something else. And if you overstay, then there's another option. It's definitely not the kind of like the hammer dropping
2: the way that I thought it would be. Um, so I've just been really, really crossing border. So just seeing all the different
4: sides of the not all the different sides. I've never tried to cross the border, but um, really interesting what reality looks like and what the discourse is.
0: I'm sorry, I'm running a little bit of a technical difficulty, but the conversation is, is exactly right on. It's extremely helpful to what we're doing here. So I'm trying okay. to uh, trying to both navigate the app and the desktop at the same time. So it's giving me a little bit of static. You're sharing that. Um, was there anything else, M, or no?
4: Yes, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, and that is um, about Biden. And you have said that about 90% of the election is baked in. Like it comes and, and it is what it is, right? Yeah. And then people complain a lot that Democrats are terrible with messaging. Mm-hmm. But you've also said that there's... come. Right. Democrats are terrible at messaging to the 100,000 people in the three states that will make the difference? Because Democrats have won the popular vote, they are, you know, like there's... So how do those two things coexist?
0: That's such a good question. Uh, The answer, no, Democrats are not bad at messaging. What people are saying is, I'm frustrated because I'm not getting what I want, and my team isn't getting everything that I want, so they must be bad at messaging. Clearly they're not. Clearly they're not. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't do better in terms of speaking to other constituencies and other demographics. And it also doesn't mean that they don't have a different style and tone that I think would be very impactful and helpful to them in a, um, in a, in a political environment, a political campaign. I think Republicans fight harder. I think they fight with sharper swords. I think Democrats would be, would be better off doing that because it would allow them to command and dominate the media narrative better and choose the battlefields that they want to fight on. But having said that, I think you articulated it very well. Democrats have been winning the popular vote and, and there are a lot more Democrats than Republicans um, for, for you know the better part of the last 20 years. So um, no, when, when people say Democrats are bad at messaging, what it means is I'm frustrated because I'm not getting everything that I want. So I've, I've gotta be pissed off about something and it can't be it can't be the issues because I agree with the issues. It can't be me. It has to be the you know manager of the, right. So yeah, look, I, I think there are, I, I think that there are, are ways that Democrats could engage in, in fights better. But you know these are social media fights. They're cable news fights. They're they're not they're not moving voters from a purely tactical perspective. I don't think that there's much. Um, that Democrats need to do to adjust in an environment where the fundamentals of the race are going to be won or lost. It doesn't mean I don't think they can improve. I think there's a lot that both parties can do to improve, by the way. You know, I I, I mean, I think I, I've been very critical of, of Democrats losing Hispanic voters, very critical of Democrats losing working class voters,
2: it's because that's not where they're. also when on politicology, I
4: think two weeks ago, maybe you yeah. said, um, talking about the environment that not just do they, some groups want to be right, but they want to, or not do they, they don't just want to win, but they want to also win
0: they will be because right. they're right instead yeah. of just
4: winning. And I do think that's, you know,
0: that's a big part of, of wealthier, more educated people. And that's when people talk about cultural elites and, and kind of the Trump voter being upset that they're being talked down to and condescending. There's a lot of truth to that. That doesn't justify their behavior, by the way. It doesn't justify their actions. And I think that Democrats spend too much time trying to understand these voters. These voters don't give a shit. So, so <laughs> quit trying to understand them. You just have to beat them. Like, that's a big part of what I what frustrates me with Democrats. It's like, don't try to understand and, like, go to the diners and sit down and listen to them and listen to focus groups and, and read read Hillbilly Elegy and listen to their – you know, their concerns, these people don't give a shit about this country. They're trying to burn it down. We're going to have to beat them. And that's that's my main frustration. Now, a lot of people say, well, that, that's your Republican showing. Yeah, probably. There's just some, there is a time for war. There's a time to fight. And we are right now at a time in American history where we're not going to get anywhere by sitting down and trying to listen to each other more. We're at a time where these battles are existential. And one vision of America is going to win and the other is going to
2: lose. And to be put down. It needs to be relegated
0: to the dustbin of history. And I'm more than happy to be a soldier in that fight because these people cannot be spoken to. They cannot be rationalized with. Some of my very closest friends are absolutely insane about the stuff that they believe in. And I know them well enough to know that they're not okay, that something has consumed them like a body snatcher. They believe the same as I, you know, that I somehow lost my way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The, 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 we're not gonna sit down and figure this out over, over dinner and a bottle of wine. Like that, that's way past. And mm-hmm. so Democrats need to do a better job of recognizing that and just you know sharpening their swords, heading out into the arena and, and, and fighting, because it's a fight. It's, it's, not, it's not a persuasion uh, environment. It's not a let's have a debate on these ideas. It's a fight. It's a fight, and it's existential. And I'm confident that we're going to win, but it's not going to be easy. It's going to take a long time.
4: Do we need to panic about the no labels thing yet?
0: <clears throat> no.
4: Okay, great. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Thank you.
0: You bet. Guys, it's been wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us. The hour is upon us. I think we've run over just a little bit but a great conversation thanks for joining us join us again next wednesday 5:30
2: p.m. pacific 8:30 p.m. east coast time we'll talk to you again next time here on mike